Lord, we've sung this morning we want to be filled with new wine. And we just affirm that. We pray that you'd speak to us, you'd encourage us, you'd make us excited about what you're doing, not only in our lives, but potentially in the lives of lots of other people. And ask your blessing upon us now, in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Hey, um, when I was a kid, I was a really avid reader. I just loved reading books. And it's a great thing to do. And I used to read books about, you know, English history and, and um, you know, famous people and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I was just kind of captivated. And some of those people kind of almost become your heroes, if you know what I mean. When you're a little kid, they're bigger than life. But one of the guys that I read about one time, and this guy's always stuck in my mind, is, is a guy called Johnny Appleseed. Have any of you ever heard of a guy called Johnny Appleseed? Yeah, you have. Yeah, oh, that's good. I can skip over the next bit. But anyway, he lived between 1774 and 1845. And I'm sorry, unlike last week, I don't have any video clips of his time because I went around then. Um, but look, today, there are museums named after him. There are heritage places named after him. And he left an amazing heritage as one of America's great conservationists. But why did he get the name Johnny Appleseed? Why is he famous? And what does it have to do with us today? Well, his real name was John Chapman. It wasn't Johnny Appleseed. But he's an example of what one person could do because he had a vision, he had commitment. He was a bit of an eccentric too, by the way. That always helps. But God was with him and he followed in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, 250 years later, the work that he did is still having an impact in America. Absolutely amazing. One person can make a difference. So what did he do? Well, his name tells the story. He planted apple trees. And he also preached the gospel. He was a Christian as well. But he planted apple trees and preached the gospel. He was a pioneer nurseryman who planted apple trees in a large part of Pennsylvania, and it's got a square kilometre of 120,000. New Zealand is 268,000 square kilometres. But he also planted apple trees in Ontario. That's got a million square kilometres. That's four times almost the size of New Zealand. Plus Ohio, 116,000. And then Indiana, Illinois, and West Virginia. You put all those areas together, and they probably make up about 10 times the size of New Zealand, or maybe not quite, maybe six times. How did he do that as one person? I don't know. But you can see why he had such an effect. And he had a huge influence, not only planting apple trees or nurseries of apples, but as an evangelist, particularly among the American Indians. And I guess something about him resonated with them. And I, I believe that's a, an example, again, of what we can do as one individual. We might, may not have the same effect. We might not reach the same number of people. But let me tell you that one person can make a difference that may impact a whole nation. And you may be that person. All he did was plant seeds. And waited and saw what happened. And the one, plant, one seed that you may plant may change the trajectory of a person's life. And there are lots of stories of that. So be encouraged as we look forward to the love from St. Albans and keep praying for the weather. So... We're going to be looking at Luke's Gospel this morning, and uh, let's have a look at it. 
Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases. Now, he's given the same authority to you folk. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, that's a bit scary, isn't it? And to heal the sick, it's even scarier. He told them, take nothing for the journey. Don't take a staff, a bag, bread, money, no extra shirt. Now, that is, that's really challenging, isn't it? Because we all like to have our bags packed with everything in them. There he is, taking them out. Next one, please. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off their, your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out, went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So they did it, and it happened. Yeah. Wasn't that exciting? Yeah. Right, next one. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Interesting. So it raised questions. What they were doing raised questions in the eyes of people, particularly here at the leaders. What's happening? Hearing all these stories. And that's what's going to happen to us as well. Luke chapter 10. This is a little bit later. So the first one actually worked really well, and Jesus sent another lot out, and he sent 72 out. By the way, we've got about 70 for the love from St. Albans. It's great. And he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So he said to them, you ask and you go. <laughs> okay, next one. He said, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. It's pretty challenging, isn't it? It could be dangerous out there. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. Why? Interesting. Because you need to get to where you're going. Don't be sidetracked, that's what he's saying. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. And the 72, there's a whole lot of other bits there. 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that your spirits submit, the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They went out. And the, and the reason they experienced some stuff, some great stuff, was because they actually went out and engaged with people. Okay. So let's ask some questions about this. It's a great text. It's an interesting story. First question is, what did Jesus expect from his disciples? Well, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He expected daily commitment from his disciples. Now, in those days, if you took up your cross, it was a one-way trip. The cross was symbolic of death. To take up your cross was, was, in, the, it was a commitment to death, as it were giving up your whole life for Jesus. And that's a challenge for us today in our world, where there's so many things that we've been asked to commit ourselves to. And Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I personally find that really challenging. Because, you know, at times you look back and you think, oh, man, I wish it was a bit easier. <laughs> you know, why doesn't God make life a bit easier for me? And, you know, I feel like that. Do you feel like that? Yeah, yeah I do. 
And then I'm reminded, of, uh, and I think, okay, I just keep moving forward. So, a question, why did Jesus send out people like that? Why did he send out teams of people? The thing is that God loves us. He has an incredible love for us. And the way he has chosen to work is by sending other people out, you and me, to let people know of God's love. That's why he sent the disciples out. They had a life-changing message to deliver. And we've got a life-changing message to deliver too. And the message is that the kingdom of God has come. God has interacted with our culture, with um, our friends, our family. God's kingdom is there. And people need to commit their lives to Jesus. And then they will receive the kingdom of God themselves. And they'll have these wonderful changes in their lives. And many of us can give testimony of, of how God has changed our life. We're going in one direction living a terrible life, and all of a sudden God steps in and touches us, and we, our life just changes completely. And sometimes we, we lose the, the, the wonder of that message. I mean, I'm, I've been a Christian for years. And, you know, I, when I first became a Christian, you know, I was picking up hitchhikers and telling them about Jesus. And I have to say, look, in some ways I've got a bit cold. It's a challenge to me personally to, to revisit some of this stuff and say, look, God, what you want is full-on commitment all my life. That's for me. So why did Jesus send people out? Well, he'd done it himself. He went out himself. And that's a, a great way of teaching people. You do it. You take other people with him. You show them what to do. And then you send them out. And, and that's what, what he did. So he expected his disciples to be bearers of the good news. The other thing, it challenged the disciples. And it made them grow. <laughs> if, you, if you were sent out without any extra clothes, extra food... What would you be doing? You'd be praying like mad, wouldn't you? You'd be saying, God, what's around the corner? What am I going to do? How am I going to survive this? And you'd have to rely upon the Lord, not upon your own means. And that's what he did. So it was a challenge for the disciples to grow. But also he wanted his disciples to share in the excitement of what the kingdom of God was about. However are you going to experience the wonder of swimming until you, unless you jump into the water and start swimming? It's exactly the same thing. And I think the other thing is that he wanted to build a new community. If you send 72 people out together, what are they going to do? They're going to build community, aren't they? They get to know each other. And I have to say that doing this Love from St. Albans has been great for me because I've got to know so many more of your wonderful people in a deeper kind of way. It's been fantastic. So the question is, is going out Sending people out two by two, is it a great format for us? I mean, is it a format that you and I, we should replicate? Should we be going to Rangiora and Kaiapoi and stuff like that? Well, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> and let's deal with the no first, shall we? No, it isn't. Uh, and the simple reason is we don't live in villages today. Look, if you lived in a village in Jesus' day, how many people do you, new people do you think you'd, live in, you'd see in your lifetime? Today, you'd probably meet more new people in a day or a week than most of them would meet in a lifetime. And that's the difference. So in that sense, it's not a good format for, for what we're doing. I just want to raise the issue. Back then, if a visiting team went to a village, like a whole group of people went to a new village, it would be something completely new, something amazing that was happening. And by itself, they, they would be asking questions. Where are you from? What are you doing here? Why are you here? So 
it was a conversation starter, the very fact that they were there raised issues. Do you know my family in Jerusalem? What's happening in the, in the rest of the world? They don't have TV or anything like that then. Totally reliant upon visitors. And they wouldn't have got a lot of visitors during their year or during their lifetimes compared with what we have today. So in that sense, no, it's not a good way to do evangelism because our world is completely different. And the biggest, one of the biggest issues for us is what I call conversation starters. By virtue of the fact that they went and went to a village, it raised issues, started conversations. Now, I've got an idea that um, I'd like you to think about, that we've been working on this for a little while. It's a conversation starter. Now, to give you an example, I went to, um, got a new tire in my car the other day, and just down at Shirley there, and um, I said to the guy, I said, do you mind putting up one of our Love from St. Albans posters? And it's a really nice looking poster, you might have seen it around. And he said, oh, that's all right, I'll stick it up. And, and um, he said, are you from St. Albans Baptist? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. Now, he was really busy. He didn't have a chance. I didn't have a chance to say any more to him because he was in and out, in and out. So we've developed this little conversation starter that we can leave with people, a typical person. Can we have the next one up, please? And this is the size of a business card. So you can carry a few in your wallet. If you knew today was the beginning of the last day of your life, what questions would you be asking? Now, so I could have given that to him and I'd say, look, I, I, can I just leave this with you? Or if you're in a coffee bar and you're sitting down at the coffee bar and then you leave, you could actually leave this sitting on the table for the next person. Or if you're going to the bank or the supermarket, it'd be great. You know, you've got the teller, hey, can I just leave this with you? Okay, so that's on one side. Does that sound like a good idea? Just raising questions. Now, this is just a draft, so I want you to maybe think about it. You may have some better ideas. Like, they flip it over like, is death the end? Is there a heaven? And if so, how do I get there? These are two bigger questions to take your chances on. We can point you to someone who's been there and come back. Love to hear from you. Let's talk. And then we leave blank the next bit. I've got my name up there and phone number. But you could put your name and phone number there. Okay? Or call St. Albans Baptist Church. So how many new people do you meet during the day? Coffee bars? Shops? Business people? Whatever? And if you said to them, look, can I just give you this? It's not offensive. How many people do you think would respond? I don't know. But I know for sure if Johnny Appleseed didn't plant any seeds, he wouldn't have grown any apple trees. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if we're able to do this, if we're able to drop these off, how many, how many people would respond? I don't know. But let me tell you that there are people out there that are ready for the harvest. And if one person... Five people, ten people picked it up and said, look, I, I'm in a situation in life. I actually want to talk about that. It's a question starter. Does that make sense? Do you think it's a good idea? Don't all share it at once. <laughs> so have a think about it. I know it's new. I've been thinking about it for a while. And um, we want to look at some other versions of this. But business size, just like a, a little business card, you just whatever. Okay, let's keep going. So, we asked the question before, is the, the model of Jesus a great format for us, the sending out people? Well, yes, it is. Because the principle is, is that Jesus sent people out. And that's what we're called to do. Like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is a sending God. 
in the Bible, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, if you're a disciple, you are a sent person. God sends you into your community with his love and his message. You've got the word sent on you. We are described as God's ambassadors. We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Our citizenship is in heaven. But we are ambassadors for our country, heaven. In Corinthians 5.20, it says, Therefore we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, an ambassador represents the country that they come from. They have a message. We are ambassadors. And if you're a disciple, you are an ambassador. It's not an option. You are an ambassador. The issue is, how do we get the message out? And that's what we want to have a look at and try and just kind of work through. So it's the sent bit that is, in a sense, the challenge. And the thing that I've been trying to think through um, recently is how do we contextualize the sending with our culture, our church, and our society? Because we can't send people always out two by two to villages. Those kind of scenarios don't exist. But how, how do we build a church where we're actually sending out people with the message? How do we contextualize what Jesus said? And I think we need to look and pray to God for some creative ways of getting the message out there. Because Jesus didn't say, sit in church and wait for people to come. What he did say was, you go. You know, the Great Commission, go into the world. Plant seeds. And look, like Johnny Appleseed, 250 years later, America's still reaping the benefits of what he did. So the seeds that we're planting and looking to plant through the gospel will reap benefit in our church and our community for years and years to come. So it's quite a challenge that, and I know a lot of churches are really kind of struggling with that. How do we evangelize in today's culture? And, and um, yeah, so keep working. God will give us some ideas. He's not stuck for ideas. We might be, but he isn't. So and that's what we're trying to do with the love from St. Albans, is trying to do things a little bit differently. And if they don't work, they don't work. That doesn't matter. But some of the things will work, and you might be surprised. So there are some other principles here. One of them is that Jesus sent people out to talk to other people and to pray with them. <laughs> that's basic 101. I mean, if we want the church to grow, that's how it's going to grow, by you and me talking to people about Jesus. And maybe we need those conversation starters just to kick that in. He pushed them out of the nest to experience and to grow and to be part of the answer. Now, let me ask you a question. This is a really a, a loaded question. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you get fit as a Christian? Now, I, I, I love being fit as a person. So I ask myself, how do I get physically fit as a person? What is the best way to go and get some great videos on um, or DVDs on getting fit and sitting watching them every day for a, whatever, three or four weeks? So I watch these videos. It's not. The best way for me to get fit is either to go to the gym or go out there and get some strenuous exercise, correct? Yep. So you've got to be out there doing it. Now, let me show you something. I remember when um, I was in Kaikoui and uh, the church manse was right next to the church and I had quite a good garden there believe it or not, and uh, anyway, whilst into church one day during my sermon time, and, and uh, I showed them one of my wonderful cabbages, and that's not the original one, of course, but 
uh, <laughs> I had this wonderful cabbage that I said to them. I said, what do you think of this? And they said, oh, it's a lovely cabbage. And I said, how old do you think it is? And uh, I don't know how long it takes cabbages now. Six weeks, two months or something. Great cabbage. And so I ha- you know, held it up and um, everyone was admiring it. I thought it was great. And then I got something else pulled out from behind the pulpit. And I pulled out this little seedling. I said, what's that? And some smart people said, well, it's a cabbage seedling. I said, yeah, it's cool. I said, how old do you think it is compared to the cabbage? And a lot of people said, well, it's it's only a couple of weeks old, three weeks old. And I said, believe it or not, it's exactly the same age as a cabbage. The difference is one was taken out of the little container and transplanted and put into the garden where it could grow. Exactly the same age. Now, there's a message in that for us. If you want to grow, you've got to get out of your small container. And you've got to release yourself from the small confines, either of your thinking or what you think you can't do, whatever. If you want to grow as a Christian, it's by taking some risks and moving out into the unknown, as it were. If you want to be safe and secure in your own little world, let me tell you the truth, you will not grow as a Christian. If you want to grow... Take some risks. Get out there and do some stuff. And I don't care what you do. So by doing the will of God, you will be extended. You'll take risks. You'll step out of your comfort zone. Now, let me just put a, a, um, a rider on this. Um, I, let me use, for example, the, um, the door knocking. Now, I know for some of you, door knocking is definitely not your thing. And that's okay. And I don't want to feel anyone to feel guilty about saying no to something that they're definitely not gifted in. Like if you asked me to play on a Sunday morning, I would say no and I wouldn't feel guilty about it because I can't do it. But we need to ask ourselves some deeper questions. And one of these is, what is God saying to the church that I need to take seriously in terms of mission? What is God saying to us as a group of people? The other question we need to ask is, what are the gifts that I have what gifts do I have? And I've been amazed at the gifts that people have come forward with for this love from St. Albans. It's just, it's just been incredible. You know, when Moses was challenged by God, what did he have in his hand? A staff. God said to him, Moses said, I can't do anything, I'm useless to the... God said, what do you got in your hand? A staff. And that became the gift that God used to bring down a nation, the nation of Egypt. So don't tell me you don't have any gifts. There are some amazing gifts in this congregation that probably just need the fire of God under them, and they need to be taken out of their little containers and put in a bigger space, and allowed to grow, and that may take some time, and that's okay. The other question is, how does God want to use those gifts with others so that I can be a blessing to God and grow the kingdom? Our gifts aren't to be used just individually. Our gifts are to be used as a blessing for the church and for other people. So, those questions kind of challenge and confront us. They challenge our priorities. As Jesus said, anyone who's not prepared to take up his cross is not fit for the kingdom of God. They're not my words, they're Jesus' words. It confronts our laziness. I mean, let's be honest, some of us are lazy. I'm lazy at times. And our fear, and this is one of the biggest ones. You know, we're fearful of stuff. So Luke 9, the challenge was to go out and preach and pray. Luke 10, go to the wolves among lambs. It's risky. Yeah, of course it is. But Jesus said, 
in chapter 10, find the man of peace and the door knockers. You're going to knock on some doors and some people are not going to be interested. But you're going to knock on some doors and people are going to be really interested. They're going to be really welcoming. Now that's your man of peace. People that God has prepared. So what's the deal about going out as a group? Well, we can do evangelism individually. But as a group, there's something exciting that happens. First, there's synergy that develops. You ever notice when you get two people together, you're going to do so much? But if you've got a group, there's so much more you can do. You can encourage one another. And as a group, we need that encouragement. You can be bolder because as a group, we do things that we wouldn't do perhaps individually. Like if you were Mike door knocking and you saw him knock on two or three doors, do you think you could knock on the next door? Of course you could. You'd just imitate him. So you can be bolder, you see. And the other thing is that our gifts can complement one another, particularly when you're praying. Now, I remember I had a lady at work, um, this was last year, and um, she had some issues going on in her house. Um, the TV would turn on about 3 o'clock in the morning. They'd hear strange sounds in the house. There was something demonic there. It was really, really weird. So I actually went around with John. And it was really neat because when I was talking to her, he was praying. And he came up with some insights, spiritual insights, that I wouldn't have had. So the two of us were able to complement one another. So when you're praying for people, one person could be praying. The other one is asking God about the situation. You'll often get words of knowledge. So it works in together. And two of you might form a pretty powerful sort of team. It's safer. You imagine going and knocking, um, walking, walking through a gate and um, all of a sudden you're walking up to the door and this dog walks out. So if I was Mike, classic example, I'd say, Mike, this is your, your turn to go in front and uh, your turn to knock on the door first here. So you hide behind him, you see. No, just joking. Um, but it is a bit safer. And look, there's a shared enjoyment. When you go and do ministry together and you see things happen, you share that joy with other people. And it builds community. Yeah. I mean, I, I went out um, doing the prayer walk last Sunday with Mike and we had a great time. But probably tonight I'll go out with someone else and I'll get to know a little bit more about them. That's how it builds community. But the other way it builds community is because when people become Christians, they become part of our family. So we grow the family. So... Was all this effective? Yes, it was in Jesus' time, because it perplexed Herod. He knew something was going on, and he didn't have any answers for it. And we want people in the community to be asking questions about what is happening at St. Albans Baptist Church. And you know what some of them are going to say? I'm going to go along and have a look. And there's a good excuse we've just put in their hand, a lovely invite from, for come and listen to Julia Grace. And you know, next Sunday morning, we want to pray this place will be absolutely packed. Okay. Look, we're going to have some stories, some great stories. But, and you people have already probably got some amazing stories that we're only going to hear about when, when we get to heaven. And I want to read out a story about a guy who had a vision. And it's very interesting. It's quite an emotional story, so I hope you don't mind if I get a little bit emotional. But it's a story about a guy called Mr. Genoa. I don't even know his first name. And it's a story from quite a few years ago. A number of years ago in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London. And the Sunday morning service was closing. And a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand and said, Excuse me, Pastor, can I share a testimony? And the pastor looked at his watch and said, Well, you've got three minutes. 
and the men proceeded. He said, well, look, I just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London, but I'd come from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives and walking down George Street in Sydney. You know where George Street is. And he said it runs from the business hub out to the rocks of the colonial area. And he said a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a, door, a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and he said, excuse me, are you saved? If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. He said, nobody ever asked me that. So it puzzled him. So when he went back home, he talked to a friend who was a Christian, and the end result was that he was led to the Lord. Well, the pastor who was pastoring this church went to Australia the next week, and he was on a crusade there. And he was counseling this woman, and he said, she said, um, how, you know, how did you become a Christian? She said, well, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping in George Street, and a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a doorway, offered me a pamphlet and said, excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, would you go to heaven? Now, <laughs> this, this pastor was um, a bit puzzled, and, um, and then, he, then he flew to a, um, another church in Perth, and there was a senior elder at the church, and he took him out for a meal. And he said to the senior elder, he said, how did you get saved, mate? And uh, he said, well, I grew up in this church from the age of 15. I went on to become a, you know, a, a very um, successful businessman. But along the way, I'd never made a commitment to Jesus. And I was on a business outing down in Sydney and walking down George Street, and he said this obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, he said, and accosted me with a question, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven? He said, I was seething with anger. He said, I've been an elder in the church for years. He said, I was seething with anger. He's so angry, he said. He said, I went and saw my pastor, and he said, pastor said, well, I've known for years where you're at. So, and he led him to Christ. Amazing. And then he went to a Keswick convention, which was... Um, and there were four elderly pastors there. All had the same story. And then he went to another convention. There were these missionaries. They all had the same story. And then he came back to London. He went to Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's um, convention. And uh, he, he had a meal with a guy who was in charge of the convention. And um, he said, well, how would you become a Christian? He said, well, I was a rating on a United States battleship. I lived a really terrible life, and we were doing exercises in South Pacific, and we docked in Sydney um, Harbour. He said, we hit King's Cross with the Vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got off on the wrong bus. And I got off on George Street, and guess who was waiting for him? He said, as I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. He said, this little white-haired man jumped up in front of me and pushed his pamphlet in my hands and said, sir, are you saved? If you would have died, not, would you go to heaven? Anyway, he's shocked. He said... He said the fear of God hit him. He went back to his chaplain, became a Christian. He said, now I'm in charge of 11,000 chaplains for the United States. Amazing, eh? And, um, and then another one is a story. He went, to, um, he went to India, and there was his pastor there, and um, he, he was a, this guy was a Hindu, and uh, he was very high up in the Indian government, happened to be in Australia, happened to be down George Street one night, and the same thing happened. And he was really disturbed about it, this Hindu guy. So he went to his Hindu priest, and the Hindu priest said, well, that's too big a question for me. He said, you go down the road and talk to one of the missionaries. So he did, became a Christian. And um, anyway, this guy ended up in, in, in um, Sydney, and uh, he said to the Baptist pastor there, he said, you know a little old man who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, um, 
Yeah, his name was Genor, Mr. Genor. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. So he said, I want to meet him. So two nights they went round to the little apartment and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat down and made them some tea. And he was so frail that he was, um, he was stopping the tea, slopping the tea into the saucer as he shook. Quite sad. He sat down with them. This, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. And the little man sat there with tears running down his cheeks. And he said, look, he asked him what had happened. He said, well, my story goes like this. He says, I was a rating on an Australian warship. I lived a terrible life. He said, in a crisis, I hit the wall. And one of my colleagues, whom I'd been giving literal hell to because he was a Christian, I went and talked to him. He said, he led me to Jesus. He said, I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. And he did. And, and he did that for years and years and years. And they worked out that over 146,000 people actually had the message. He died two weeks later. He never knew until the end. Now, that's an amazing story. Now, I couldn't do that. You know why? Because I'm not called to do that. But he was called to do it. He didn't even know his proper name, but heaven knows it. Think of all the people rejoicing in heaven because of what that one man did. Didn't even know if he had a wife. But you're going to have some remarkable stories like that. And you may not be responsible for hundreds of people. But you think of the guy, the chaplain, who led that man to Christ. He may have been the only person he ever led to Christ, but look at the effect of it. So we need to hold that. So it all begins asking, what, what God's saying? What's he saying to me? What's he calling me to do? As we look this week and to the future. And, you know, you may get to a point where you think, well, you know, God really wants me to do something. And, and, and I think he wants me to do this. And you look at it and you think, I can't do that. And that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Remember that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do all things through Christ. And you may feel fear. You may feel, well, what will people think of me? What will my family think? I know when I became a Christian, I had a really hard time for my family. What will people think? And for my friends? Do you know the antidote to fear of man? It's fear, fear of God and love of God. If you fear God and love God, you will have no fear of man. I kid you not. So you might ask the question, what if I fail? Now, how many apple seeds do you think Johnny apple seed planted that never grew? Does it matter? Let me tell you something. If you try something, you are going to fail. That's a foregone conclusion. It's not what you fail at that counts. It's what you do after you fail. And the next seed that you plant, that's the one that could well grow. So don't worry about failure. That's how we learn. That's how we learn, by failing. That's how kids learn, by failing. And a little old man, well, how many seeds, do you, how many pamphlets do you think he gave out that people didn't respond to? I couldn't care less. But I do know that a lot of people in heaven right now because of the ones that he did give out. Okay? So I'll leave you with some of those things to think about during the week. Um, I want to say just thanks to all... <laughs>
who have stepped out in faith for this coming weekend. For some of you, I know it's a big challenge, and God will bless you. And others, you may not be involved, but don't feel guilty about that because I know there are other areas of service that you're involved in, and just keep plugging away with those. But look, there's nothing more exciting than a church that's on the move, a church that's following in the footsteps of Jesus. And this weekend is just another small step towards a great future. And finally, Jesus said, the fields are hard for rivers, but the workers are few. You know, I think if he was here today in the flesh, he'd say, I'm so glad that there are so many that are willing to go and serve their neighbours in this community and share my Father's love and mercy with them. And I'll have a few surprises for them. That's what I think he'd say. So, God bless you all. And uh, I think we're going to have lots to celebrate in the days to come. And P.S., do pray for the weather, please. We need a miracle. <laughs> hey, bless you. Thanks, worship team.